Um, well, um, yeah, let me just say um, thanks again for all your support over the last year. And um, yeah, I'm thankful also for this opportunity to speak again today. Um, do keep your Bibles open. Do turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Hopefully that will be helpful to you um, as we look at that passage. Uh, but as we start now, why don't I just pray for us? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to meet and to worship and to study your word. Uh, Father, please help us to see what is true from this passage. Um, help us to um, see what you would want us to understand from this passage. And we pray that that truth would move us and that that truth would transform us. Uh, Father, we ask that we might be humble and loving uh, doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, um, just as um, as the youth pointed out to you, um, uh, I'm not... Um, um, I'm not that up to date when it comes to a lot of uh, current stuff that is going on um, with what's happening in the lives of the youth, what their popular music is, what, uh, what they're watching on TV. Something else that causes the youth sometimes to sigh slightly um, is, my, um, is the kind of jokes that I like. So um, I'm very easily pleased when it comes to jokes. And so I wanted to take this opportunity to share a couple with you. Uh, So uh, the first one is, what do you get when you cross the Atlantic Ocean with the Titanic? About halfway. (laughs) Or this one is better. I like this one more. Okay. (laughs) What side of a chicken has more feathers? What's that? The outside. (laughs) You see, the thing with these jokes, at least for me, is that when you know the answer, well, it's obvious, isn't it? The question is obvious, the answer is obvious once you know. But for me, at least, in that moment when that question is posed before the answer is given, well, there's that moment when you're searching for the answer, when you're searching for the key, the key to the puzzle. And until you get the key, well, the answer is just a mystery, Or I'm sure many of us have had the experience of being locked out of somewhere. Uh, Maybe you've lost the car keys or keys to home. And it's so infuriating because the rest of life sort of grinds to a halt until you find the keys again, until the key is found. And I wonder whether you ever had this experience at church, this searching for the key of understanding Maybe even over the last few months, as we've looked at ministry during the Sunday service, maybe, maybe it all just seems slightly foreign, so hard to understand. You know, we see people like Paul, the writer of 2 Corinthians, and, you know, he seems to live this incredibly sort of bizarre life, so self-sacrificial, so countercultural. What can motivate him to live this kind of life? What's the key here? And I want to say this morning that the key to understanding the Bible is grace. Grace is what makes sense of scripture. And we won't understand the message of the Bible until we understand grace. Just as life grinds to a halt when we can't find those house or car keys, well, we won't understand the message of the Bible until we understand grace. And actually, we see that here in our passage this morning. So we see there the example of the Macedonians. Let me reread for us um, verses 2 to 4. So the Macedonian churches, out of uh, the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. 
For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. You see, despite their poverty, the Macedonians joyfully gave, uh, despite the fact they were even going through trials at that time. I don't know whether you spotted there, but there were beggars in Macedonia. But not beggars begging to receive, but begging to give away. Begging to be allowed the privilege of partnering with the church by giving financially. And how is that possible? How is it that people can give even in poverty, give even when suffering? Well, because God's grace had first worked in them. The key to their frankly bizarre behavior was that they were people who had been changed by God's grace. Uh, See there in verses 1 and 5. They had first given themselves to God. And the grace that God had given the Macedonian church was such that it had transformed them to be people that gave out of poverty and difficulty. And this grace of God is explained more fully for us in verse 9. So in verse 9 it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. God ultimately shows his grace to us in Jesus Christ. Remember, the life of Jesus did not start with the baby in the manger at Christmas time. Uh, John's Gospel tells us that Jesus was there in creation, that through him all things were made. All the earth is his. Everything you own is just a loan from him. Uh, I don't know whether you had to do this at school, but um, when I was at school, many we had to have name stamps on all our belongings uh, and on our clothes, and they told us, you know, who owned this bag or book or jumper. Um, there should be just a, a quick picture here, just to help us remember what that was like for those of us who haven't been to school in a while. Um, so I don't know whether you had to have these kind of labels on your clothes, uh, but I had to. But sometimes I wish we could have stamped on all our belongings. Instead of our name, we could have stamped on there, belongs to Jesus, on loan to Alice or Bob or Tim or whatever your name is. Or at the top of our bank statements, this money belongs to Jesus, on loan to Alice or whoever it might be. I mean, that's why we have our offering sentence, right? Our offering sentence where we remind, where we say, all things come from you, O Lord, and of your own have we given you. We're remembering that everything we see, everything we have, it actually, it belongs to Jesus. But the riches in verse 9 are much more than the wealth of things that God owns. Um, So we have Jesus uh, before the incarnation, uh, Lord of all, He didn't just own many things. Actually, he enjoyed perfect fellowship with his father. The wealth of an eternally satisfying, mutually loving relationship with the father and the spirit. He had those kinds of riches as well. The freedom, the beauty of heaven. And Jesus was under no obligation to come to earth. Uh, We were poor because of our own rebellion. We We deserved hell. We deserved judgment. And yet the grace of God, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, meant that Jesus gave up all those riches and became poor. 
And he did that for you. He did that for us. He became poor that we might gain the riches of heaven. And this is the grace of God. And this passage tells us that our response to this grace must be to give ourselves to God. And um, the implication there in verse 7 is that as we respond to God's grace to us, we will find that that then transforms us. When we accept, when we appreciate God's grace, we then become people of grace. And as I'm sure you spotted when this passage was being read, the particular outworking of grace that Paul addresses in this passage is the issue of giving and generosity. And let me just interject and say at this point that I know for some of you, as soon as the church uh, starts to talk about money, uh, some of you are going to feel worried that this is a precursor to some campaign to ask for more donations. Or some of you may be worried you're being tricked into a situation where you're going to be under pressure to give. Uh, Let me say this is not the case. Um, If you're not a Christian here today, let me tell you we don't want your money. Uh, We really are just delighted that you're here and we hope um, that you will reflect on the true treasure that is Jesus himself. Yet it is appropriate to talk about money at church. As Christians, we give all we are to God, and that includes our bank balances. So uh, what does Paul tell us about giving in this passage? Sorry. So um, Paul says, first of all, he says giving is not a duty. So the example Paul gives us in the Macedonians, we see that giving for them was not a duty. Uh, It wasn't a a dry or unfeeling uh, um, act to tick the box of Christian requirements. It was a joyful privilege. And I wonder how often we think that. When we give money, do we see it as a joyful privilege? Or are we sort of part of us secretly thinking about what we could have brought maybe if we'd kept it for ourselves? So uh, giving is not a duty. Uh, Secondly, giving should be universal among Christians. Uh, So this is not an optional extra. Again, if we look at verse 7, Paulus expects that those who, have, those who have excelled in other parts of the Christian life will also be giving people. But while giving is universal, uh, God judges us not by what we do not have, but by what we do have. Uh, the issue here is not the amount we give, but our hearts. Are we generous? Are we giving people? Giving should be proportionate, uh, if we see there in verse 12. Uh, So verse 12 says, For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. And for those of us who have little, well, that will be a comfort that, you know, even the smallest offering is acceptable to God. For those of us who uh, maybe have slightly more, this may require us to think again, Would our generosity, our giving, be acceptable to God? And as well as giving being proportional, we see that um, we're not expected to give so as to impoverish ourselves. So uh, what Paul is talking about here is not a vow of poverty. Um, The goal is equality. Uh, See there in verse 14. Or as the ESV puts it, fairness. You know, it should not be the case that some brothers and sisters in one part of the world enjoy all the luxuries of wealth, while their poorer brothers and sisters in another part of the world do not have enough to eat and maybe uh, lack funds for medicine or education. 
Once again, I do want to say I'm not trying to guilt anyone into giving more. Um, but I do want us all to think about this area of our lives and ministry. Uh, in preparation for this, I was reading some reports that have some statistics and things, because um, I'm an actuary, uh, that have been, uh, that have been uh, done in the U.S. Uh, on this issue. And uh, One report says that in the U.S., around 25% of Protestant Christians don't give any money to church. And the average percentage of income given is only around 2 to 3%. I wonder where you would come here. As we've seen, giving should be proportional. So it's not about the amount giving, but it, so it's not about the amount that's given, but it is about, um, but it is, giving should be universal. And this is more than a token gesture. So this is more than putting our hand in our pockets when the collection comes around to see what's there. Um, as we look again at the example of the Macedonians, they lived in poverty. They were going through trials. They were suffering. Yet they gave generously, joyfully giving even beyond what they were able to give, urgently pleading for the privilege of serving in this way. And I know uh, this is sort of a challenge to me. Am I urgently pleading to be allowed the privilege of giving? But as I reflected on this over the past week, I was thinking um, just how true it is that giving really is a privilege So um, the Macedonians, uh, they were probably not able to go to Jerusalem. So the gift is almost certainly going to Jerusalem where there was a famine. And the Macedonians, they probably couldn't go there themselves. Um, Yet the Macedonians could show that they were part of the same global family by giving financially. You know, they showed visibly their unity, their oneness by supporting and giving what was needed. And, you know, you, we may not be able to personally go and help those in need around the world. You may not be able to personally translate the Bible. Uh, you may not personally be able to go and work as a missionary in another part of the world. You may not be called to full-time, uh, full-time Christian work. But by giving, by praying for these causes, uh, we can show our solidarity. We show our care. We visibly demonstrate the gospel as we give up our riches for the sake of others. And I also want to spend a bit of time this morning thinking a bit about uh, verse 8. So let me just uh, read that again for us. So in verse 8, Paul says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. What Paul is saying here is that there is a connection between giving and loving. The danger with this kind of sermon is that we feel challenged today. Uh, Maybe we give a little bit more today or we go home with this sort of warm feeling of having made a commitment to do something different. But the danger is that then nothing happens. And that's what Paul is criticizing the Corinthians for They had made a start at a collection actually some time ago, uh, but they had not completed it. And, you know, I'm sure we've all done this. I've certainly experienced this before too. Uh, You hear of a good cause and you have every intention of getting around, sorting out that direct debit, that standing order. But, you know, other things get in the way and nothing really happens. 
And Paul is pretty unforgiving with this kind of attitude. He says, the problem is not your efficiency. The problem is that you don't love earnestly enough. Paul says, if you were sincere in your love, you would have followed through. If you were earnest in your love, like the Macedonians, like the Lord Jesus Christ, then that love will flow through into action. We're reminded here that where we spend our money is a good indication of what it is we love. And so I want us to ask this morning, what is it that we love? If we say we love God, then does the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave up his riches for us, move us to live simply so that we can give to the work of the church here in Hong Kong and around the world? Does the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ mean that we are willing to share in the burdens of our neighbors? I guess particularly we think of the Philippines. And just remind remind you again, as Hugh mentioned, that on December 8th we'll have a special service for them where the whole of the collection on that day will go uh, to charities working with those suffering in the aftermath of the typhoon. And, you know, of course, um, one of the questions that gets raised uh, when we think about this is, um, well, but don't we need to be wise in our giving? Uh, And of course, absolutely. Um, You'll see I'm actually slightly beyond our passage for today in verses 19 and 20. Uh, Paul is also concerned about that. He's concerned the money uh, used is dealt with properly, is spent wisely. And, you know, we should be similarly concerned as well uh, that our giving is being used well. Uh, But, you know, are we on the lookout for those good opportunities, those good, uh, good people, good organizations to support And, you know, I'm not saying that there is no place uh, for genuine and godly enjoyment of the blessings that God has given us. I'm not saying that there isn't a place to spend some of the money that we earn on ourselves. But, you know, the line between legitimate enjoyment of the gifts that God has given us and greed, well, it's a faint one, that line. And I'm definitely not saying that I have all the answers But the challenge Paul gives us in this passage is, are we giving? Are we generous? Are we being sacrificial? If we never say no to buying that new gadget or having that meal out or buying that new set of clothes in order that we can give more to others, I do wonder whether we have fully appreciated what God has done for us. This message of sincerity and of love is in many ways the same challenge Paul has been making through much of the letter of the two Corinthians um, that we've seen this term. He's been challenging us with where is our heart? And I know many of you here at Sharton Church are really eager to live lives that point to Jesus. Uh, so as I finish, I want to leave you with one challenge. As we've thought about giving uh, now, I want to ask you, what could be more countercultural than living below your level of income so that you might give money away for the sake of the gospel? How radical would it be for you to choose to live less well than you can afford so that a substantial proportion of your salary might go to Christian work in Hong Kong and around the world? That money might go to children born into homes of poverty, money for education, for food, Money for medicine, for curable diseases in the majority world, immunizations for children. When you meet Jesus on Judgment Day and he asks you, what have you done with the money that he loaned you? Will you be proud or ashamed of the answer? 
Well, um, as I finish, um, I'm sure we all have things we might want to reflect on, might want to uh, maybe think, uh, think about doing differently. Uh, there'll be some people here who have not yet, not yet accepted the grace of God, who have not yet took that step of giving ourselves to God. There'll be some people who have never really thought about giving a substantial part of our salaries away. There'll be some who are already giving really sacrificially, for whom it might be an opportunity to thank God for the grace that he's shown and the opportunity that you have to give. So I'm just going to pause just for a few moments for each of you to personally reflect uh, with God um, on these things, and then I'm going to lead us in a prayer as we finish.